Hi, and welcome back to Unsighted, the internet's least reliable English literature podcast. I'm Chantel. And I'm Amy. And we are doing a very special treat today, another play. But first, I would like to say that peer reviews, we have none. We have none peer reviews? We have none peer reviews with left beef, which means factually and legally, um, everything we said last week was 100% correct. But no, we have so many emails. We have one from Escobar and Koming. <laughs> they want to establish a business venture with us. Yes, our peer reviewers all work at a Nigerian bank. Let's flag these as junk, Chantel. I don't take care of our email, Amy. I take care of our Twitter. Um, if you are nice, lovely people who are not here for just a business venture and you accidentally have a name that sounds like you're just here for a business venture, I'm sorry, but I deleted your emails. Okay, so no peer review. That's fun. And what are we reading today, Amy? Today we are reading the very fun play uh, called The Importance of Being Earnest. By Oscar Wilde, one yeah. of my favorite guys. Kind of a wild guy, you guys didn't see this, but she forcefully had to laugh, and I could see the pain behind her eyes. You know something's really funny when, instead of laughing, you're just like, that's funny. I wanted to bring it back to our unofficial peer review from Zach, who said that he really enjoyed my done puns. So are you gonna only do wild puns yes. this week? Yes. That's wild. Yeah, it is wild. <laughs> Uh, so for the two listeners who are still listening. <laughs> this was published on Valentine's Day in 1895. Oh, that is so fun. That's a fun fact for today. Was that like opening night? Because it's a play. This is what the Wikipedia said. Which is great because it is kind of a romantic play. I would say it is totally a romantic play, Chantel. It's all about it's... the romance. Sort of a rom-com. It's a lot like um, Twelfth Night in that it's a comedy of errors. Minus much of the drag. A comedy of errors is a play that focuses on mistaken identity. Yes. I'm just saying that it's like Twelfth Night, but it doesn't have the drag. If Oscar Wilde had his way, it probably would have had more drag. That's true. Dorian Gray definitely would have had much more drag. If Oscar Wilde has his way, um, these plays would be a lot more wild. Hmm. That's funny. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what I really enjoyed about this play, though, is the play on words that happen throughout the play. I think my use of puns today is one that is very prominent throughout the play. Yeah. This play is just basically a two-hour build-up to a pun, and let's go over that right now. What is this play about? So this play is about this guy, sometimes named Jack, sometimes named Ernest. Um, <laughs> he's Jack in the country, he's Ernest in the city, which is one way to say he's a uh, freak in the sheets, but not in the streets. Oh my god. <laughs> he's like a mullet. He's like a human mullet. <laughs> Business in the front, party in the back. Yes, he he's a human <laughs> mullet. And he has this friend uh, named Algernon. Yes. So our buddy Jack, when he's not being earnest, is he being earnest? When is he marrying Gwendolyn? Okay, in the city, he goes and visits London and he goes by Ernest. Everyone calls him Ernest and he's in love with Algernon's first cousin named Gwendolyn. Yes. His ruse, however, is foiled when Algernon finds his cigarette case, which is engraved 
with From Your Dear Little Cecily to Uncle Jack with All My Love. And Algernon finds this and starts interrogating Jack, his friend Ernest, who he believes has not lied about his name ever. Um, And he's like, why does this say it's from Cecily? You can't marry my cousin Gwendolyn if you're talking to this lady, Cecily. And Jack's like, oh, that's my aunt. He's like, well, that's interesting because it says to my uncle Jack from your dear little Cecily. So why would your aunt be calling you her uncle? That's odd. And that's when Jack has to explain that he has a ward in the country that he takes care of. And that he's been lying about his name. He actually just tells people in the country that he has a brother named Ernest in the city. And he's like, oh, man, my brother Ernest has got up to his old tricks again. I have to go into the city. And it's really just when he wants to get out of the country. Would you say he's not very earnest about his identity? Uh, <laughs> I'm only here for the puns, guys. So what's fun about this is that Algernon... It's like, oh, I completely understand. I also have a ruse about this guy who lives in the country that I go see. And his name is Bunbury. And he's very ill. And Algernon is always like, oh, I have to go take care of my ill friend Bunbury. They they say that I have to be at his side right now. And everyone's like, wow, your friend Bunbury is very, very ill. He's like, yep, bye. So Algernon is kind of like this weird almost introvert where he's like oh no i have to cancel plans <laughs> womp, womp. <laughs> so i think what we need to learn here is that we should all have a friend bunbury in the country that's what algernon says he's like we should all be bunburyous everyone needs a bunbury yes so um algernon's first cousin gwendolyn shows up with her mom aunt augusta And Algernon distracts the aunt long enough that um, Jack can propose to Gwendolyn. And she says yes. Romance. But then she says, I knew that I was in love with you before I met you because I learned that your name was Ernest. (laughs) And now I will never love anyone who's not named Ernest. Which is um, an interesting way to pick a mate. Is that not how you picked your mate? No. Isn't that not how we all pick our mates just by the sound of their name and then we pick things to like about them after? I mean, I've always had like names that I was like, I can't date a guy who's named XYZ. Ernest was one of them. I mean, XYZ would be such a (laughs) stupid name. Imagine bringing that home to mom. Like, hey mom, this is my new boyfriend, XYZ. Isn't that what Elon Musk named his kid? (laughs) Oh shit. Probably would have been better than whatever the hell they named him, her, they. Alpha Delta 12 or something. Yeah. Airplane name insert here. Theta capitalism. (laughs) So, um, Ernest proposes to Gwendolyn and she's all like, I'm so happy you're named Ernest. And then he's all like, oh shit. And then her mom comes back into the room. Yeah. But she's not happy about this. And she's like, listen, a lady should not decide who she is is marrying, it should be a nice surprise to her. Kind of like the season in Bridgerton Yep, is what she's been doing. And she's like, yeah, I'll tell you who you're marrying when I'm ready to. But first, I'll interrogate this guy and see if he's actually a suitable candidate. And she starts asking Jack all these weird questions. And to us, we're like, you're answering all these questions wrong. She's like, I think that a man who is seeking marriage should know everything or nothing. So what do you know? He's like, 
oh, I don't know anything. She's like, perfect. Next question. And then she's like, what about your parents? Are they alive? He's like, I don't know. And she's like, what do you mean you don't know? He's like, actually, I don't know who my parents are because I was found in a handbag in a train station. And she's like, well, I can't have my daughter marrying into the lineage of Victoria Station. So peace out. (laughs) Do you have the deed to Victoria Station? No? Well, in that case, bye bye <laughs> If you can produce some parents by the time the season is over, perhaps. perhaps. If not, see you on the flippity flop. See you at Victoria Station. <laughs> JK, she wouldn't be caught dead there. Let's be real. Yeah. <laughs> she uh, she gets her private horse limo to take her everywhere. Her horse limo? Her horse limo. Yes, I'm trying to abbreviate horse and limo together as horse limo. I just, I don't think that's what... Horse mazine! <laughs> Her himo. Like a himbo, but for limos. So that's all fun. So then Gwendolyn comes back in the room and she's like, my mom really looks like she's not going to let us get married. Why don't you tell me your address in the country and I'll write to you and we can figure something out. Ernest, whom I love so much because your name is Ernest. <laughs> And he gives her his address, but, oh, plot twist, Algernon is listening in, and he takes down the address as well. Because he didn't know where Ernest lived. Ernest didn't want to tell him, because Ernest likes keeping church and state separate. And by Ernest, you mean Jack. Yes, Jack. Jack Ernest. Jernest. That's terrible. (laughs) I hate it. (laughs) All right, this has already been a wild ride, so on to Act 2. On to Act 2. Da, 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 Electra Boogaloo. (laughs) Jesus Christ. So Act 2 opens on Jack's ward, Cecily, who he is told Algernon is a very beautiful young 18-year-old, and she is, and she's not paying attention to her lesson with her governess, Miss Prism. I mean, would you? Uh, No, it's about, like, German grammar, and I feel like any language that you're just learning the grammar is not going to be a fun ride. No. So that's fair. So she's she's not paying attention, and she's like, Miss Prism, why don't you go for a walk? And so she goes for a walk. And then Algernon shows up. Their butler comes out and he's like, oh, Miss Cecily, your Uncle Jack's younger brother Ernest has arrived. (gasps) The crowd is shocked. (laughs) And we find out that Cecily has been obsessed with this imaginary younger brother Ernest because he sounds so interesting because he's constantly Jack's excuse to get out of things. And Jack is kind of like boring compared to like city Ernest. So like Jack's like, yeah, I have to manage this estate. It's managing an estate is boring. Oh, I have to go help Ernest. He's gone crazy. So then he <laughs> leaves and Cecily's like, I have to sit here and learn German grammar while you're out there with Ernest and having parties. Hmm. Yep. And then she meets him and she was like, hmm. I don't know if this is in the actual play, but in the movie I just watched, which is the 1952 adaptation, she's like, I hope he doesn't look exactly like everyone else because I've never met anyone wicked before. And I'm so scared that he's going to look like everybody else. And then she walks in the room and she's like, oh, he does. <laughs> I don't think it's in the play. It's delightful. I love that. That's cute. We'll link this adaptation because it's available for free on YouTube. Oh, that's nice. 
So she meets him and he tries to woo her. He's like, Cecily, you are so beautiful. You are so flawless. And she's like, let me just write this down in my diary. You can keep talking. She's like, I'm just going to take notes here. You said flawless? (laughs) Don't worry. You can say it again if you want to. Can you repeat that? perfect human specimen you say an angel walking this earth you say future wife you did not say future wife okay we'll redact that (laughs) and then surprise he does say future wife because he just proposes to her on the spot after knowing her for like five minutes i mean that's the goal and she's like well yeah we've been engaged for three months already in her head in my diary and my head (laughs) So then she tells him all about her imaginary courtship that she had with him. Imagine being like courting someone and you don't have to do any of the work. He wrote her some lovely, lovely letters. He doesn't get to read them though. No. She wouldn't want him getting a big head. Well, exactly. That would be an invasion of her privacy and his privacy. Yes. Clearly. You wouldn't want to show someone their own letters that they wrote. (laughs) That's personal classified information. He doesn't get to look at the receipts. He does not. He just gets to own up to them 15 years from now. And she's like, you told me I was perfect. (laughs) And then she's like, I knew that I was interested in you because you sounded so fun and so interesting, but also because your name is Ernest. (sighs) And I've always fantasized about marrying someone named Ernest. Just gonna turn around real quick. (laughs) (laughs) So he and Jack, at the end of both of these scenes, are like, oh, I should probably go get christened. I mean, on an unrelated note, I'm going to walk out the front door right now. Yeah, and by christened, we don't mean like baptized, but more like renamed, like retitled. It is baptized, but like when you were baptized, you were given a Christian name. Yeah. So it's not like he's getting into like the religion. He's more like just getting into the religion Again, with a new name. So they've both decided that they are going to be baptized with the name Ernest. Yes. Both Jack and Algernon. So then, Act 3 opens. Act 3, the redemption arc. And who shows up but Jack. Jack. And he's like, oh, I am in mourning because my brother died in Paris. (gasps) Not his brother, the crowd said. And Miss Prism and the pastor doctor guy are like, oh no, that's so sad. And then Cecily walks out and she's like, Uncle Jack, your brother Ernest is in the living room. And he's like, uh, news travels slowly. Does he not know he's supposed to be dead? So Algernon walks out and he's like, you're not supposed to be here. And Jack is like, no, you're not supposed to be here. So they pretend shake hands to make up because of all the false fights they've had as brothers. And then who else shows up but Gwendolyn? Because Gwendolyn was like, well, my mom's going to be a ne'er-do-well. I'm going to go get my ne'er-do-well on. (laughs) So Gwendolyn meets Cecily and she's like, I like you, Cecily. And my first opinions of people are never wrong. Never wrong. The two women start talking and... They talk about their love of Ernest's. Yeah. Gwendolyn starts talking about how she is engaged to the man who lives here And where is he? And then Cecily's like, I'm his ward and I'm engaged to his brother named Ernest. And Gwendolyn's like, um, no, because I'm engaged to Ernest. And then they have a spat. Spat. And then both fake Ernests show up and Gwendolyn's like, Ernest. Ernest. And Jack's like, yeah. Quindolyn's like, are you engaged to those women? Jack's like, no. Why would you think that? And then Algernon shows up. And Cecily's like, Ernest. And Algernon's like, yes. (laughs) 
Cecily's like, are you engaged to that woman? Algernon's like, absolutely not. And then they find out that neither of them are Ernest, and Ernest is a made-up brother. So they decide neither of them are actually engaged, and they go inside. So Aunt Augusta shows up, and she sees Miss Prism, who comes back from her walk, and recognizes Miss Prism. And she's like, I know you. You misplaced the baby once. And Miss Prism is like, oh, yeah, well, I intended to drop off my manuscript somewhere, but I put the manuscript in the pram, and then I put the baby in the bag, and then I dropped the bag off, and I came home with the manuscript, but there was no baby. And Jack is like, Miss Prism, where did you put this bag? It's of the utmost importance to everyone in this room. And it's like, no, maybe just you, Jack. And Miss Prism's like, I left it in a busy train station in London. Jack's like, which train station? And Miss Prism's like, Victoria Station. <gasps> and Jack's like, the Brighton Line? And she's like, yes, the Brighton line. So then he goes, wait a minute. And he runs off and he grabs a bag and he goes up to her and he's like, was it this bag? And then she starts identifying all the little marks on the bag and like where her pen spilled in the bag and her initials are on the bag, which she says last. And then moment of truth, he is the baby. And he's like, oh my goodness. So who actually am I? And Aunt Augusta turns to him, she's like, you are the eldest son of my sister. Meaning, you are actually Algernon's older brother. But wait, there's, there's more. more. <laughs> so he wasn't lying about that. He's like, so what's what's my name? And she's like, well, you were named after your father. He's like, so cool, what's his name? And she's like, I don't actually remember what the general's name was. And then he turns to Algernon and he's like, Algernon, what is your father's name? And Algernon's like, I don't really remember. He died when I was a baby. And he's like, how do you not know this? And he's so upset. But they're like, wait, this guy's name would be in the military files. Let's go find it. So they tracked alone. And they look it up. And he's like, okay, I found it. His name is Ernest. <gasps> Goes the crowd. So all three couples are happy because Jack has tracked down his lineage, which means that Aunt Augusta will give him permission to marry Gwendolyn, which means that Jack will now give permission to Cecily to marry Algernon, because otherwise she was going to have to wait until she was 35 years old to make her own decisions about her life, even though she's an adult already. And then Miss Prism and the vicar doctor also get together for some reason. Because you need a marriage of threes. Yeah. Yeah, rule of threes. Yeah, three acts, three marriages. And everyone's happy. And the end. Not the end, Chantel. Sorry, not the end. My bad. The best part of the entire play. At the end. Okay, I'm ready. Ernest, formerly known as Jack, also formerly known as Ernest, talks to his <laughs> aunt Augusta. Well, how does he say it? I need, I need the exact quote because it's a banging quote. Give me a minute. It is. This is the pun that the entire two-hour play has been leading up to. Yes, yes. Okay. Well, she starts. Okay. She goes... My nephew, you seem to be displaying signs of trivality. And then Ernest, formerly known as Jack, formerly known as Ernest, goes, On the contrary, Aunt Augusta, he replies, I've now realized for the first time in my life the vital importance of being earnest. Yay! 
So this entire play is just building up to the importance of being earnest. Of being truthful, I guess? Uh, yeah. Earnest is just, like, being genuine. Yeah. And the whole time they were lying, but then it turns out they weren't lying after all. Yeah. I love this play so much. So, you know me. I have a special affinity for satire, um, and it is a satire, so I also love this play a lot. It's a satire of just, like, love stories in general, right? Of Victorian society. I love it. So, because, um... I'm quoting almost directly from the Wikipedia right now. Um, But earnestness was considered to be the overriding societal value. So they play on like all this like triviality of like, oh, I love you because your name's Ernest. Like that's something that's really valuable to me. And they just make a big farce out of it. It really, it mocks a lot of like the society at the time, which is great. Because Victorians screwed up so much for us. (laughs) They really did. They really did. The Victorians wrote the 2005 sex ed curriculum. Yeah. Even at the end, Gwendolyn is still clinging to this earnest thing. Like, even after she figures out that Jack really is, uh, like, a nice, cool guy. And she she really would like to spend the rest of her life with him. She's like, yeah, I'm really only marrying a guy named Ernest, which is why he has to go look up the name. Cecily's like, you're so strong clinging to your morals. And <laughs> she's like, I'm gonna marry Algernon because I don't have to wait till I'm 35. <laughs> so that's fun. I think it's quite jovial. Like, I read it for the first time when I was in grade 12. Me too. I read it in high school for the first time too in drama class. I read it in writer's craft. Noise. Yeah, it was really fun. And we watched the Colin Firth version, which again, Colin Firth should just be in everything. I freaking love that adaptation. You cannot find it anywhere on the internet to actually watch but it is such a delight. People were saying that it's not good because it's like very silly, but I think that's originally just what this play is. It's a very silly play. I think like a lot of people see English drama as being, well, I guess Irish drama, because Anglo-Irish drama. Yeah, as being like this snobby type thing, you know? Like you you think of Shakespeare and you think, oh, we think of Hamlet. But really, a lot of the plays are just like shitposting, TBH. (laughs) And I think that's one of the things that that adaptation does very well is that it takes all the funny bits of the play, exaggerate them to no end, but also makes it like fun and accessible to people, which I think is what Wilde wanted. Wilde didn't want necessarily to be like, I'm, I'm imposing my own judgment of him on his life, but I don't think he was the kind of guy who was like, oh, I just want to be like celebrated with a high class society. Like he was really in it for like being accessible to the nitty gritty people. Yeah, again. We can't say, but I don't think he would ever be like one of those, oh, everyone has to follow my exact script no matter what the societal context. Like the Colin Firth version has a scene where Gwendolyn gets a tattoo of the name Ernest in a heart and it's just so accessible and modern and delightful and I love it. And something that Wilde probably would have done and like the commercial success of his play had he had the opportunity he might have actually gotten Ernest tattooed on his butt. <laughs> it doesn't have to be overly complex like that's one thing that I wanted like make sure like people understand like one of the reasons we started this podcast is because we wanted people to just think about things without it being like oh I have to think I have to write an essay I have to like be serious about things like you can just talk about literature and not have to be like overly obsessed and convoluted about it yeah literature can be fun literature can be funny literature can be accessible it doesn't need to be like stuffy you're sitting in a library and reading a book forever and like literature can be boring can be bad and can be uninteresting but this is not one of them this is one that like is 
even just like reading the play, if you have the chance to like read the play, let's say you can't see any of the adaptations, reading the play is really funny because you see the actual puns on the page and like you get to see how the sentences were actually constructed, which I think is really cool. Yeah, and you can kind of flip back, which is what I was doing, and see like all the funny places where they're referencing things that happened like 10 pages ago, and they're making fun callback jokes, and you're like, wait, they said something like this in act one. Let me go look. But also like watching, it's very fun. Either way you consume it, it's a delight. And what we did in Writer's Craft, it was an online class. I read it and then I watched it. So I was able to pick up on all the foreshadowing that was going on. Like all the little bits that you're like, huh, that seems like it's weird and important. And then you're like, okay, whatever. It was funny at the time. But then you go back and you're like, oh, if only they knew. Like the whole like, oh, I'm only going to marry someone named Ernest. And then you're like, oh man, he's not actually named Ernest. But then when you rewatch it, you're like, he's actually named Ernest. It's one of those things where he assumes that his audience is smart. Yes. Which is nice. Like he's not talking down to his audience. It's called a trivial comedy for serious people for a reason. Like he's putting a lot of very clever little jokes and stuff in there. I like that he respects his audience enough to do that. He gets like, you know, society, TM, deserves a break, <laughs> which is great. Yeah. I think we all deserve a break. Especially right now. Yeah, which I'm like, and this is why we're doing this podcast, because we need a break from day-to-day life. <laughs> like, Oscar Wilde is just really accessible in general, and he's always really fun to, you know, deal with, I think. Have you read any other Wilde works? <sighs> I feel like I have. Maybe I haven't, though. Might be talking out of my ass here. He's apparently a poet. Oh, I probably read his poetry then. I read The Picture of Dorian Gray. You named your fish after him. Yeah. <laughs> Which is a very fun novel. And it totally threw me because all the characters were gay. And then one of the characters just started dating a woman out of nowhere. And I was like, I mean, bi people exist, but I like, where's the rest of this gay love triangle? What happened to that? But he couldn't write about that. I think I read An Idle Husband. An Idle Husband. That sounds interesting. Yeah. It's about blackmail and political corruptions. It's a comedy of society. Um, and I also, I definitely read some of his essays because I was really into essayists at the time when I was in school. Gonna read so many essays so I can write so many essays. Pretty much. I haven't got enough of essays with the 30 essays I just wrote. I need more essay. But Oscar Wilde was just like, he was a really cool guy. And I think he was way ahead of his time. And it's kind of a shame that like he was because I think he would have thrived more in our society. Yeah, he definitely would have. He got sick because he was in hard labor because it was illegal to be gay. And he died pretty young. Um, but he had so much boundless potential and he did so so much within his lifetime yeah like he was only 46 which like at the turn of the the 20th century that's still pretty young yeah definitely like he could have lived an extra 11 years and might have fought in a world war one maybe oh geez i hope not well he could have he ended up going on to write much more somber works obviously because of the way his life turned out and it's odd looking back at his earlier works compared to those because his earlier works are very much about like a life lived of pleasure, like focusing on people doing what they want and living how they want to live, which is what he was doing. He was living his best life. He was, and then he was punished for it, and that's really, really sad. But he was released from prison and ended up in France, I believe, which is where he passed away. Uh, Yes. Yeah, he never ended up going back to... England or Ireland, which is fair because that's where 
terrible things happened to him. And I think they were a little bit more liberal in France. Correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, I don't know if it's true, but that's what I would imagine. English people definitely thought that they were more liberal in France. Even Aunt Augusta within this play references the fact that people at her high society gatherings think French music is too lewd just because it's in the French language. So they look shocked when they hear it. No, he was pardoned in 2017. I think I actually did hear that. And uh, his epitaph is part of one of his last poems. What's it? What is it? Um, so it's from the Ballad of Reading Girl. Um, it says, An alien tears will fill for him, pity's long broken urn, for his mourners will be outcast men, and outcasts always mourn. That's very sad. Yeah. Which is like, you know, he went from writing nonsense about earnestness and that kind of stuff to being, you know, kind of a broken man, which is kind of really sad. Yeah. I really wish that he'd had the opportunity to keep living his best life and just making all the puns his heart desired, but that's not how things turned out for him. No. But you know what? We can live our best life in memory of him, you know? Like, Oscar Wilde would want you to get your freak on. Oscar Wilde would want you to get a heart tattoo with the name Ernest in it. We are not condoning this action, but if you're really into Oscar Wilde... I am. I'm condoning this action, personally. <laughs> you can do this and then show your mother the clip of me saying this. Oh, if you do get Ernest tattooed on your butt, or if you have Ernest tattooed on your butt, please... Send us safe-for-work pictures of them. Amy's just requesting butt pics <laughs> live on the air. Um, you can send them to our email address at unsightedpodcast at outlook.com. Can you attach images to Twitter private messages? Probably not because dick pics. You can at us in your earnest tattoo pictures on Twitter at unsightedpod. Safe-for-work only, though. We don't want to get blocked. Please. We really don't. So, okay, on a scale of 1 to 10 baby handbags, how would you rate this play, Amy? I would rate it a 10 baby handbag. I think it's clever. I think it's fun. I think it has a happy ending and a fun beginning. And a fun bit in the middle, too. And a fun bit in the middle, too. I think the characters are interesting enough, but also kind of daft. And yeah, it just, it's really entertaining and I think it's really accessible and I think Oscar Wilde deserves a 10 out of 10. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I totally agree. Yeah. Um, announcements. Ding, ding, ding. This comes out on January 22nd. So our American friends, we don't know what happened, but we're here with you. We're supporting you. Also to our non-American friends, we know what's going on in the world. We're here with you. We know it scares you. It also scares us. But we're all in this together. Cue High School Musical Montage. Thank you. I was going to bring it back there as well. And I'm glad that you did so I didn't have to. <laughs> I have the jokes. <laughs> this also comes out on John Dunn's birthday. So happy birthday to him. Oh, see, we're not done with John Dunn puns. We never will be. We never will be. Um, so I think that's it for us this week. If you like this, please give us a subscribe on whatever platform you listen to podcasts on. Uh, maybe share us with your friends. And if you really like us, we would love a five-star rating on the iTunes store. That helps us get noticed by other people who are probably into nonsense literature reviews like you are. You can reach us through our email, unsightedpodcast at outlook.com if you have any peer reviews for this or on Twitter at unsightedpod. And as always, we're excited unavailable.
Yay. Ooh, let's stop this now. Let's stop this now.